Thank you for joining this sermon podcast from Cornerstone Fellowship in Forest City, North Carolina. We hope that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message. Cornerstone exists to glorify God as we passionately pursue Him and make Him known through worship, discipleship, fellowship, and outreach. Here's today's message. I'm going to ask you to turn with us in your Bibles or read along with us however you choose. First Peter, we continue our series entitled A Living Hope. A Living Hope. This is Sermon 2. We began in chapter 1 and we began today in verse 3. 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning today in verse 3. Blessed be the God. Now, pause there. You know me. you got to stop. But that's very Jewish. You see it throughout the Old Testament. It was a doxology or the way they would begin words of praise to God. It's very Jewish to that point, but then... Immediately it changed not from Jewish to Gentile, but from Jewish to Christian. Because notice what he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To obtain an inheritance, one that is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time, in this you greatly rejoice, even though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed or grieved by various trials, so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, that the proof of your faith is, it, it's, it, you, you got to know that. There's some things you can doubt, but you, you can't live And wonder about that. The proof of your faith, the proof that you have a relationship with God, the proof that whether you make it home today or not, that's more precious than gold. Which is perishable, even itself, gold is. Even though tested by fire, it may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, I know Peter is a realist. He said, I saw him, I walked with him. And I know you didn't. He said, it's cornerstone, I understand that. I'll paraphrase a bit, but he's like, I understand. You didn't see him. I did. But even though you didn't see him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but you believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. And last of all, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. 
At this time in the world, and I mentioned it, I'm sure already, but the world's in chaos. When Peter writes this letter, there's so many things that are going on in these Christian, the Christian life and in the, around the churches at the time, the gatherings of believers that you, with which you and I should relate rather well. A lot of chaos. It's not the Romans that's brought the hammer down at this point. No, that will come later. They, they, will, uh, they will begin to persecute the church. Nero causes somewhat of a little flare-up, but he's no big deal. He goes away pretty fast. And, and it will not be until Domitian comes to the throne that that's when the Romans really take on Christianity. They, they're feeling the ice crack under their feet as the world power and and, and like the United States of America right now, they've, nobody's ever dared to even mess with them. They, they, they have been the biggest bully on the block. They, are, uh, uh, they have been the most powerful, the, the strongest, whatever uh, uh, the entity on earth as far as they're concerned. But, but they're beginning to realize that we have our enemies. And we're beginning to realize that, that we may not be the, the powerhouse that perhaps we thought we were. But for now, the situation is even more complicated because it's not the Romans, it's not the pagans that really are attacking these Christians. It's it's other people who claim they worship God and claim they know God. The the Jews who have rejected Jesus Christ are giving them a horrible time and, 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 and are questioning whether these Gentiles can ever be saved. And then if you are a Jew and, and you've turned to Christ and they treat you like you have abandoned the faith, it is just an absolute quagmire of confusion. It is much like our world today. I, I know the day may come when there are people that may attack us. I don't know with guns or whatever. Uh, we may fight for our physical lives and all of that. I, I understand that. But but just think about it. For right now, think about the confusion that, that we have. You, you think about the biggest critics that most preachers have that preach the Word are people that go to church. It's people that are religious in some sense, or maybe they consider themselves Christian in some sense, but, well, I just don't see it that way. And things are so murky, and, and the moral compass needle is just spinning out of control, and, and it's like nobody knows what's right and wrong anymore, and we've kind of abandoned the Word of God because it just flies in the face of, of so much that we want to embrace in our world, and and the next thing you know, man, we, just, we don't even know which way is up. Well, in a world like that, we need to be reminded, and Peter is writing this letter just for that. We need to be reminded that God is faithful. Great is thy faithfulness. Thomas Chislam was a, poem, a poet. In 1923, he wrote those Words are made a poem of them, but way before his day, a man named Jeremiah, when he wrote the book that we call the Lamentations, he is lamenting. He is watching the city of Jerusalem and the ransacking of the temple, and as he watches it, he puts together five poems, uh, all of them but one or 22 verses long. And in those poems, he sits there and he laments. We have that book in our Old Testament. 
He laments what he has seen. His heart is breaking. But I'll read you from Lamentations 3.19. Remember my affliction and my wandering, the wormwood and, and bitterness. Surely my soul remembers and is bowed down within me. He said, I am a broken man. But he says, this I recall to my mind and I have hope. When I think about this, God, I have hope. The Lord's loving kindnesses. Your spell checker will catch that. He won't care. Your loving kindnesses indeed never cease. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I have hope in him. Well, you and I can hope in him. As a matter of fact, the title of this series is A Living Hope. And I want us to take a look at some things this morning that I believe they, they, they illustrate to us, they demonstrate to us what God is so, how he is so faithful. There's several of these things, and I didn't try to complicate them with alliterating them. We're just going to list them and, and look at them. But there's some ways in here that Peter says in these verses, he says right in the middle of that quagmire you're in of not knowing who to trust, what to believe, and all of that, he tells this early young church, he says, there are some things that you can always count on because God is always faithful. One is his mercy. Let's look at verse 3. By his great mercy. As a matter of fact, it's a powerful concept, just mercy itself. There are some words that we've learned when we do our worldview studies and things like that around here that there's some words that have distinctions. For example, the word truth or the idea of truth. It can never be my truth. If it's mine, then it's not truth. It can never be subjective. Truth has got to reflect reality, not reflect what I think or how I feel. So it is either truth or it is not. And it doesn't have to reflect me. If it begins to do that, then it can no longer exists. Mercy is another one of those words. Mercy can never be deserved. Can never be deserved. Now, you might say someone deserves pity. We might say they deserve mercy, but if you say a person deserves mercy, then then you have made a self-refuting statement because mercy is that which you can never deserve. It's when you've gotten to the place that you've already worn out your welcome with pity. It's when you've gotten to the place that you have absolutely proven yourself to be uh, absolutely ungrateful, an ungrateful sinner, the rebellious, you just are depraved beyond measure. It's when you deserve nothing but hell itself and you know that. That is when the mercy of God comes into play. And I love the way he says this. He says his great mercy. Usually that word in the Greek is megas. That means big. That means huge like a mountain. But here it, it is polo. 
And, and the word is a, 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 a word that means many. We get our word poly, polygamy, and words like that from it. But, but it means it, it comes in all kinds of forms and, and it comes in all kinds of shapes. It comes in uh, varieties. His mercies are great. As a matter of fact, the King James, I'm going to have to give it its dues, calls this abundant mercy. That's not a bad word for that. Because it means that his mercy is not just huge, but the mercies of God comes in all kinds of varieties. And, and, and boy, I want to tell you something. I'm glad to hear that because my mess ups come in a lot of varieties. My need for mercy comes in a lot of different ways. I'm surprised sometimes at the things about myself that, that I discover that I'm like, man, alive, God, that's so terrible. And, and how could I think that, Lord? And I never even realized that about myself. And, and boy, one of the things about walking with the Lord and, and the more time you spend with Him, the more your self-awareness level is raised. And I, I, I can tell you, that can be a good thing, but boy, it can also it can also break your heart. It can also convict you when you realize that, wow, God, I, I never knew that I, I, that, that was all about me. I, that, that, that had nothing to do with you, God. I, I made it look like it was for you, but no, it was all about me. I've thought about times before I'd go out of town somewhere and I would preach and, and I, and, and I'm confessing. I would ask the pastor maybe after a night or two, I'd say, well, how do you think things are going? And, and, and man, you know what? God convicted me of that because I've realized something. You know what I was really wanting to know? Have people been saying cool things about me? Have they been liking the sermons? Have they been saying stuff like, wow, he is a bad dude preacher. Is he not? Man, a lie. Boy, we, we like him. Ooh. I, I, those are the, and, and when you begin to realize that about yourself, I, I'm, I'm, that convicted me. And, and boy, there's so many other things. You know, most of the time, we think if we hadn't shot or killed anybody and, and, and we didn't, uh, you know, run the liquor still wide open all week long, that boy, that's a good week. We're doing really well. I can tell you, the closer you get to the light, the better you can see. And the one thing you can see better than ever before is yourself. And when we began to see ourselves, we find little areas in our life that we thought were all about God, but no, they're all about us. And we need his mercy. Secondly, our hope. Verse 3 says, we have a living hope. He has given us a living hope. He shows his faithfulness through giving us this hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Notice where hope comes from. It comes from or comes through Jesus Christ being raised from the dead. It's been said that Christianity is the only religion that is historically disprovable. If it could be disproved, you could disprove it with history. For example, if Buddha is, we find out that whatever his name was, uh, it wasn't Buddha, but uh, uh, Gottman, whatever it was. If we find out he never lived, Buddhism can go on. It it's the, does not depend on him. It's, a, and it's an idea. Matter of fact, if we were to find out that uh, Muhammad really wasn't a historical figure and, 
and, and, and none of the things he said uh, that he did ever really happened or, or whatever, and, and a lot of them didn't. Uh, Mohammedism or, or Islam could, could go right on because it's a, it's a teaching. It's not dependent on Muhammad at all. It's some ideas about a, a God named Allah, and, and it could continue on whether we prove Muhammad is alive or not. But if you could disprove the resurrection of Jesus Christ and Christianity, would be finished. Be finished. It's the only faith in the world that is like that. But just think about that for a second. I I know people like to argue about it. And we've got a whole version, by the way, of Christianity. I, I spell it with a little c. Of where people go, well, I don't really believe Jesus rose from the dead, and I don't really believe he was the divine son of God. I think that kind of got mixed up in there with some of the things that people were thinking about him and wanted to believe about him, and this, that, and the other. Maybe, I've even heard this, boy, they're so sweet when they do this, showing so much grace to Jesus. Maybe even he thought he was the son of God. Isn't that nice? Maybe even he thought it, but he, he got in a tangle and he died and then the Jews had to come along or the Christians that followed him had to come along and make up some kind of story and, 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 and all of that and they did something with the body and they call it a resurrection and it's just kind of fabricated. But boy, he was a good man, I'm going to tell you, and we should follow his teachings. If that is all he is, I can tell you he's no more than a Gandhi. And we have no Savior, and we can go home now. There's nothing worth living for. Matter of fact, Paul says we're more miserable than anybody in the world if Jesus Christ hadn't risen from the dead. But you just think about this, and I'm not going to sit here and offer an apologetic on, on the resurrection, but if his body was stolen out of the tomb and didn't arise, you've you, you got to think, well, There's only three groups that could have had it. One of them was the Romans. And you know if the Romans had had that body, they would have showed up with it somewhere. Another group that could have had it, if it were to have been stolen, would have been the Jews. Don't you think right along about time the church was taking off and Peter and John was doing all this preaching about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that if the Jews had had his body, don't you think they would have showed up with it somewhere? I think so. And do you really believe, last of all, that all of these disciples who went their separate ways, most of them, Some of them never saw each other again who preached the word of the resurrection and preached the message of a resurrected Savior until it cost every one of them their life. Don't you think had all of those guys or any of those guys, if they had known where the body was really buried, do you think they would have done that? I hardly do. I can tell you we have hope because Jesus has overcome even death. I have to move on. His mercy, our hope, our future. Our future. He shows his faithfulness even though our world around us is a mess. We have a future that he has given us and and he has shown his faithfulness in that. In verse 4, to obtain an inheritance which is in 
perishable. We have obtained an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. The inheritance, by the way, is God himself. Did you hear the prophet Jeremiah say, my portion, what I want is God himself? A relationship that we have with God himself. Sometimes when we read the things about an inheritance from God, we think about, oh, when I get to heaven, I'm going to have a pot of gold sitting at the front door of my mansion. And I'm going to have this, and I'm going to have that, and I won't have this, and I won't have that, and, and, and that old mean neighbor I got won't be there, and, and all of those things that we think about this earth that are bad, boy, we think heaven's just going to fix all of those things because we make it all about us. I, I got news for you. Our inheritance is what Adam and Eve had when they walked with God before they made the worst decision of their life. It's when they walk with God. It's when God came to see them every day. I went to see my uh, daughter and my grandbabies and my son-in-law this weekend and or, or this week for a couple of days. Had a great time with them, loving on those babies, and, and, and it was just wonderful. But they wanted Daddy to come. I could have said, hey, look, I don't feel like riding all the way down there. Uh, how about I just send all of you $100 a piece, and, and we'll call it even. Do you really think that would have satisfied them? How many kids have you seen that were raised where the parents were absent, but they just threw money at the kids, and every time the kid had a problem, he got a new video game or a new whatever, and, and that's how they were raised. How does that ever turn out? So when God gives us something that is really awesome, he gives us himself. That is the inheritance that we, we get, and there's so much more we could say about that, but Man, I want to tell you something. He gives us himself. That's, that's what we have. And, 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 and think about this. When we go to heaven, we're going to get to worship him and be with him and, and, and praise him. And, 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 and it's forever and ever, and it's never going to go away. How cool is that? But, but think about this. There's a lot of people that, that want to go to heaven but don't know why because they don't know him. They don't have a relationship with him. And what if you, he takes all of the things that have been the center of your life and gets rid of them because they won't be in heaven, and he puts himself there? How much are you going to enjoy spending eternity worshiping someone that on earth you could barely etch out a, maybe a few minutes a week to even talk to? I think we've... Turn heaven into a game show prize. It's a place where we get to worship God. Three quick things about it. He says it is permanent. It's imperishable. Aftharton is the word. There's a little A, letter A in front of that. We call that a privative A. It means it turns it around and makes it the opposite. In other words, theist is somebody that believes in God. A Theist is someone who does it. You've heard that before. Thartan uh, is a word that means corrupts or not in the sense of, of uh, like we would think about defiling something ceremonially, but it rots, it decays. As a matter of fact, it is the same word that, that we translate in 1 Corinthians where Paul says that the reason we have to go through this dying deal is the corruptible has to take on that which is incorruptible. It's the very same word is here. This body is decaying. This body 
uh, already, even though I still have life in it, I, I can tell you, these bodies are already uh, beginning to break down, and they're already beginning to suffer loss, and, and one day they will decay in the ground. But this is corruptible. This can do that. But, but this has to take on incorruption, and, and when I have that relationship with God, and, and boy, when I leave this old world, I leave this old body behind. And I have one that's incorruptible. He said, everything in your life that you've ever loved, it may have rusted, broken, burned to the ground. Somebody stole it. You were hoodwinked out of it. You didn't know how to appreciate it, and it's, now it's gone. All of those precious things in life that we, we think about, that they never, ever stay. He said, this is one thing that will never go away. Your relationship with me. He talks about its purity. It's purity. It's not only permanent, but it's pure, undefiled. It's the same, it's a, another word with the same A in front of it. It's, it's a, a word that does mean ceremonially impure. We've corrupted about everything in life. You just think about it. We as human beings, we've messed up almost everything. And, and boy, nowadays, it's out of control. I mean, we've messed up sexuality. We've corrupted that. We, we don't know where we are there. We've messed up marriage. Uh, it's easy for us to bring this, blame the sexuality thing on one group, but I can tell you, uh, boy, marriage, uh, I don't care if you're heterosexual or what you might be, uh, we've played such a, a vital role in destroying marriage. Marriage was sacred, and it was holy unto God, and we've corrupted all of those kinds of things. Uh, his church, we've corrupted that, and, and his name, we've corrupted that. We, we've, we've, everything it seems like we touch, we, we somehow another our sinfulness here on earth, it corrupts it. But he says there's one thing that you cannot corrupt, and that is your relationship with me. It's the most precious thing you can ever have. And then thirdly, it's place. He said it's reserved in heaven for you. I know I have that relationship with him now. I will know it more fully when I get there. I want to move on, but one quick word from C.S. Lewis. Can't have a sermon without quoting him at least once. C.S. Lewis says, I got suspicious when nothing on this earth satisfied my deepest longings. You know, he was a diehard atheist for a long time. But he said, when I realized there was nothing on earth that could satisfy my deepest longings, no person, no thing, no money, no, nothing, no value, I had something that it, it just, it was insatiable, a yearning for something more, a yearning for something deeper. And he said, that's when I began to be suspicious that I must have been created to live somewhere else. Man. We were made for this place, not this place, but one day in heaven. His mercy, our hope, our future, and number four, our protection. He shows his faithfulness and how he takes care of us and protects us. Verse five, we are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. 
We're protected by God. That, that's, that's how do you stay a Christian? Well, you don't do it. He protects us. He garrisons his soldiers, his army around us, and, and he has to protect us. And, and, and the way this, we enjoy this and experience this is through faith. We have to put our faith in God. And when we do that, then uh, all of this business of worrying about, did I lose my salvation or, 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 or you know, am I still saved or, or, or have I messed everything up? I can just tell you, when you have that relationship with God and you're really walking with Him and you stop putting your faith and trust and, 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 and doing the right thing and more promises that you're going to break and, 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 and more things that you say to God, I'll never do again, when you get off of that, that cycle of misery and you put your faith in God and say, God, I am putting myself in your hands and I want you to protect me, God. This relationship that I have, if it's up to me to keep it, then I'm going to lose it before the day's out. He says, no, we're protected by God. The word actually means a garrison of soldiers. His mercy Boy, he shows us that great mercy. He shows his faithfulness and the hope he's given us, the future he's given us, our protection. He's also given us, number five, an assurance. And he protects, or he shows his faithfulness in that as well. Verse 7, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though... Tested by fire. That's how you test precious metals. When you heat them enough and they begin to melt, the dross and the impurities begin to rise to the top and they can be separated from the precious metal. He says it's tested by fire. I want to tell you something. There is nothing more precious than knowing. If I draw my last breath on this earth today, I'll draw my next one in the presence of God. What would you give for that? Could somebody buy that from you? Is there an amount of money you could put on that? If you don't mind going to hell, we'll give you $10 billion. I'm afraid to offer that to anybody. One, I don't have it. And two, some would take it. Matter of fact, some already have. Jesus asked the question, what will a man give in exchange for his soul? He said, that, that's a question I want you disciples to think about. If a man gains the whole world and loses his soul, then he has nothing. He has nothing. The, the assurance of our faith is more important than anything in the world. Someone came in my office recently. I won't say who. David Cooper. And he had a silver coin. I don't know if he's in here or not, but he had a silver coin, and he was showing it to me. He says, you want this, you can have it. I hope he doesn't mind me telling you, because I'm going to tell you anyway. He said, I bought these silver coins, but he said, uh, one day a magnet got next to one of them, and I realized I was in trouble. You see, silver's not magnetized. Neither is gold, neither is platinum. 
And one way to test a silver coin, oh, it can be beautiful. I still got it on my desk. I, I took it. Oh, yeah. And it's as precious to me as it is him because I, I, I'm thinking it's still there. It may be in the garbage by now. But it's worthless. And the reason is, is because on the outside of it, and he had it tested. He had it tested. After the magnet fiasco, but after he had it tested, they discovered that yeah, it was part silver out on the outside. But what that magnet was finding, it was attracted to a, a, a worthless metal on the inside. And that magnet stuck right to it. You know, I thought about that. Sometimes there's a lot of things in this world, and I, I, I know we all fail God. I got that. But do you ever wonder why is it, boy, I just can't ever seem to get it right? Why is it I get myself in more messes than you can shake a stick at? Why is it it seems like every week I'm coming back to God with, I'm going to promise you I won't ever do that again. I'm going to do better next time. I'm on this, that, and the other. It's never going to happen again. Blah, blah, blah. On and on and on. Do you ever wonder why all of these things that keep sticking to you that you don't want in your life? You ever wonder why they're so attracted to you? It may be because there's something on the inside that's not pure. And it's attracting things on the outside that are not pure. It's worth thinking about. It's worth thinking about. I think about this COVID. It's given us a whole nother language. Do you, do you have it? Well, I, I, I don't know. Have you been tested? So that's the, way, that's, that's the way we ought to be about Christianity. Christianity, do you have it? Well, I don't know. Have you been tested? Because you can test Christianity. And it says the way that we are tested is through these trials. Proof of your faith being more precious than gold. But we're tested by fire. He says, for right now, there's some trials you're going to go through. And, and I can tell you right now, boy, if, 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 if Jesus Christ is not, does not own the, your heart, if he's a fad, if he's something you just have uh, in your life when you have time for him, if he's something that's really caught your attention, that you're really enamored with, a, a, a real curious personality of history, if that's all he is to you, I can tell you when the fire comes and the test faces you, you won't make it. You won't make it. To be tested by fire. I, I kept thinking last night, I was lying in bed thinking about the sermon. I was thinking about, yeah, do you have COVID? Well, I don't know. Well, have you been tested? You know, if I, well, I got tested and they said I didn't have it. I, I can tell you, you can get tested for your Christianity. And, and this is another one I thought about last night. Some people claim they're asymptomatic. That means you have Christianity, you just don't live like it. And I understand, like COVID, if you don't really have COVID, you can't give it to anybody else. Am I on a roll or what? Huh? You can't give it to anybody else. And if you are asymptomatic... There's no such thing as an asymptomatic Christian. There's no way that God can live inside of you and you just, well, I, I'm, I'm a Christian. I, I mean, you just set your beard down and say, yeah, I, I'm, a, I'm a Christian. <laughs> 
Man, you can't find ten people in Spindale that'll tell you they're not a Christian. Almost everybody is. But a lot of them are asymptomatic. Something the Bible refutes. When we are tested, a couple of things happen. There's a purity that emerges. That's when the silver, real silver comes forth and the real gold shows itself. That, that, that's when we're tested. A passion also emerges. Verse 8 and says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. And do you, though you do not see him now, but you believe in him. You love God. You really love God. You could ask people again, are you going to heaven? And a lot of people will say, well, yeah, or I hope to. If you hope to, why? Why do you want to go there? I, I think about people that thinks everybody in the world is going to heaven. I ask people sometimes, well, what about the ones that don't want to go? What do you think they're going to do? I mean, if you are a universalist, what are you thinking? That there'll be a bunch up there that you couldn't have got them to come to a worship service, or you couldn't you couldn't get them to pray. Every year at Thanksgiving, they dreaded it when you ask Uncle what's his name to pray because he prays so long. Even in a three-minute blessing, my goodness! And you already got one eye cracked looking at that cranberry sauce the whole time. You can't stand it. You just, what, what do you think is going to happen? I want to ask the universalist, do you think people are going to sit over there on a the bench and after they've been there a million years or so, they're going to finally get to where they kind of warm up to God and, and join in with the festivities when everything that they've ever loved and given their life to has been taken away and has been replaced by God Almighty. The thing that was on the throne of their life is gone. The thing that they poured their life into is no more more, destroyed forever. Do you really think that those folks are going to finally warm up to it up there? Wow, there's also a peace that emerges. Verse 18 says, and you do not see him now, but you believe in him. In the Greek, there is a preposition in like our I in. But this is that preposition we've talked about before. We call it ice. We would spell it E-I-S. It means believe into. And one of the scholars this week I was reading on the Greek text talked about how important that word is here. It's important in a lot of places because when you put your faith in, you believe in Christ. You're not just saying, I believe he exists or I believe he is real or, or, or I believe he is God or I believe whatever. People who are born again, who have a relationship with God, they have that because they believe into him. And the difference, and I, I, I try to think of a better illustration because I've worn this one out, but it's the best one I've ever heard. Remember the guy with the wheelbarrow that pushed it across Niagara Falls on the cable? Brought it back, filled it up with bricks or something, I don't remember. Took it back across and brought it back. Crowd's clapping. He asked him, he said, 
How many here believes I can put a person in there and take them across and bring them back to everybody? Oh, you the man. He says, somebody get in. I can believe there's a bridge down here across this creek. But when I drive my family across it in a car, that's me believing into it. It's the very same word used in John 3.16. When I put my faith in his finished work on Calvary, that's when my sins are forgiven. I'm not just believing he exists. I am depending on him for his mercy and his protection and my assurance and my future. I'm putting all of that in his hands. I am trusting in what he did on the cross. And last of all, verse 9, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. That's the most important thing in the world. If you die without a penny to your name, but die with a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ, then you're going to be fine. But if you have the whole world, Jesus said, and lose your soul. Matter of fact, Jesus' disciples, and He walked by a man's place one time, and He said, do you see this guy? He's torn his barns down this year to build bigger ones because his crops came in and they were so plentiful he didn't even have room to put everything in. And, and when it was all said and done, he was still walking around mumbling to himself, Jesus said. What, 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 what am I going to do? He says, my soul, he says, I, I eat, drink it now and, and be merry. When you're having to tell yourself that, after you have all of those riches and you're still talking to yourself, trying to convince yourself that you finally have enough to be happy and, 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 and this, this is gonna work. I'm not, I'm not gonna give my heart and life to Jesus Christ today, Pastor. I, I, I'm just not ready for that, but, but, but I, I'm, I, I think I'm gonna work something out. I, I can just tell you that's never gonna happen for you. See, there's a part of us that's going to live forever. It's going to live forever. And it's our soul. And it's not a matter of if, it's just a matter of where. These old bodies are going to die. But our soul is going to live somewhere forever. And Jesus told that man who tore his barns down to build bigger ones, he said, you are a fool. Because tonight, something's going to be required from you that you've paid no attention to. And that is your soul. That's your soul. Just like that diamond ring you gave your wife. Came in a little box, maybe worth a nickel. I doubt she even remembers where that is. But I bet she knows where the ring is. We have this old box we worry about where it goes, how it dresses, how it looks. Some of them go from boxes to crates. <laughs> but we worry about all those things. We have it made up and this, that, and the other. And we try to work hard on that box. Who does it hang out with? And all of those things are important in this life. But inside of this box is something more precious than a diamond. 
gave your wife that ring, if she had never noticed a ring and all she thought you were giving her was a box, you'd thought, man, what a dummy. But God gave us a soul, and most of the world's not noticed it. So focused on this. I understand, friend, as I close, we live in one more messed up world right now. It's messed up in a complicated kind of way. It's not just people doing bad things. We've always had that. We've always had that. But we've not had Christians, so-called Christians, and church people arguing about, well, I don't know that that's wrong. I, I know the Bible says it is, but it was written a long time ago. That's where we are. That's where we are. We, our moral compass is out of whack. You, you could put together, most of the time, I'm going to say you could put a hundred Christians together in the room, and I wonder if you would ever find one issue that they would all agree on. Those days are gone, man. Well, abortion is bad, but I, I still think, you know, blah, blah, blah. Really? See, we don't know what we believe anymore. Such a messed up, chaotic place. But God's faithful, friend. God's faithful. I would beg you today, get off that merry-go-round of hope so, maybe so, promise to do better business. Give your life to Him. Give your life to Him. Take up your cross and follow Him. Let's pray. Lord, I come to you right now and I ask you, God, please help us. Lord, like never before, we need some light in this darkness. And I I know, Lord, you've called us to be that. And you want to be that through us. But, Lord, some days, God, it is so complicated Life is so confusing. Lord, it's it's incredible. And God, we have every reason to believe that it's going to get worse, God. I, I pray, Father, though, that you would help us. Help us not to be all down. I pray, God, that we might lament the sins that we have committed, just as Jeremiah did. But I pray, Lord, that there would be that time when we would put our eyes back upon you and we would realize that though we have been so, so unfaithful, that you are always faithful. You're always faithful, God. I pray that you'd... You you would let that draw us close to you. I know, God, we should have been close to you years ago. It shouldn't have taken a, a catastrophe, Lord, to finally make us start thinking about you and get our life in order and readjust some priorities, God. It shouldn't have taken all of that. It shouldn't have taken the world falling apart, God, for, for us to finally want to draw close to you. But, Lord, for that, we just ask for your great mercies and your forgiveness. And I pray you would help us. 
Help us, Lord, to draw nigh to you. We love you, Lord. And I pray, God, that you would just help us now to realize and know that when the world is going crazy, that, Lord, we can always, we can always trust in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you have any questions or would like to know more about Cornerstone, please visit our website at ServantsWay.com or email us at office at ServantsWay.com. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 1186 Hudlow Road, Forest City, North Carolina. Please join us again next week.